What up, y'all? Welcome to PTC Cast episode 40 today. <laughs> today, Chris and I dive into um, mobility, structure, structure, exercise dogma, why we think certain exercises are must-haves, and we do a couple of questions at the end. Yep. This episode is brought to you by ProgressThroughChange.com. Man, you can get your free four easy habits for fat loss guide. You can get a free chest training guide. You can get a free fat loss PDF. You can get a free food list. I mean, we got tons of stuff here on yep. the website. So go check out progressthroughchange.com. It takes you 10 seconds to get one of the free guides. We will see you there. Enjoy episode 40. Sometimes I feel like, cause I'm a bald white guy with a beard that I can't wear a white t-shirt. Cause Why, I feel man? like every bald white guy with a beard that has a little bit of muscle wears tight white t-shirts. That is true. You ever noticed that before, yeah. or am I just self-conscious? No, now I'm seeing it right now, too. <laughs> You're seeing the the character, the stereotype. The manifestation, yeah. Yeah, the the absolute representation. <laughs> so, Who are you? Who are you? The I white am, t-shirt I am ball the guy. stereotypical white t-shirt ball guy. Um, man, I have a question. Yes, sir. Have you ever had any gym injuries that you know were caused by a specific exercise? And to follow up on that, has it ever happened more than once? Ye- oh, has it? Okay. I'm leading uh, here. When, when, <laughs> <laughs> so I know that I've had a bunch of lower back injuries, um, a hernia injury that I never, I guess, had surgery to do, but I know that it was pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, and then the most recent one, as you know, was my left scapula, mm-hmm. which it's finally yeah. getting better. Something around that scapula. It was probably your trap or your infraspinatus, I think. But Yeah, it was from uh, that one, like I was doing deadlifts and I like nonchalantly let it down. Mm-hmm. And I think it was like 750. Something, yeah, something was pissed around that scap. Yeah. yeah, and it was horrible. But I haven't had any repeat injuries besides, I guess hip issues yeah but that that never got to the extent to where it was like you know critical yeah like it was definitely uncomfortable but it never got you know to the point where it was um preventing me from yeah doing things yeah so so the reason that i ask is um i've impinged my right shoulder three times before and every time it was on a barbell flat bench press yeah now, Makes sense. those who know me might think I hate the barbell bench press. <laughs> I really don't. I just don't think it's made for most people, myself mm-hmm. included. Um, especially the dogmatic way that we look at it as the bar has to touch your chest or it doesn't count. Mm-hmm. And I specifically have issue with most barbell movements that are given some, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Some superficial basis of does the rep count? Um, now when you're talking about powerlifting, where the squat needs to be to a certain depth, the barbell needs to move a certain way, the barbell needs to, you know, travel a certain distance. I think that's different. Yeah. But when we're sitting here talking about exercise for either training a certain muscle or a certain group of muscles, or simply just trying to be healthy and build muscle, I mean, however you want to approach it, I think the only way it makes sense to stick to those confines are within a sport. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said... Um, part of the conversation needs to be around mobility and part of the conversation needs to be around structure. So starting with mobility, if you try to load a position that you can't get to on your own, you're asking for a bad time. 
So the, the first example that comes to mind is let's say I set up here and if you're on Spotify, it might be a little bit harder for you to imagine this. So I'll try to talk you through it. But let's say I set up here and I have my hands in a fixed position and I try to lower all the way so that my imaginary barbell would touch my chest. And you can see with how much scapular retraction I have and how far I drive my elbows far down and back, that bar, imaginary bar, still would not touch my chest. It would still be shy. Yeah. And that has to do with the shape of my rib cage. Mm. My rib cage is very flat. So in order for that bar to touch my chest and be a confirmed rep, or however you want to justify that, or, or whatever you want to call that, my elbow would have to travel so far behind my body that it's basically like ripping my GH joint out of spot. Mm -hmm. So... That's one where no matter what kind of mobility drills I did, I'm just not created for it. Now, if we were to have the discussion of mobility around a squat, well, let's say you want to be able to, you know, I'm going to use the phrase ass to grass your squat or yeah. sink your squat as deep as, as your body will let you without it happening at your lower back musculature. That takes some pretty deep, some pretty decent mobility to it be does. able to do yeah. and to be able to do well. But what you'll find is some people think that, you know, if their butt doesn't touch their heel on their squat, then the rep doesn't count. And the amount of people that have the mobility to actually reach that position is, is, is pretty slight, man. If you watch most of the people who believe in squatting or try to squat that way, you'll find that most of the motion is going to happen at the lower back. Mm -hmm. So at some point, their ankles give out and their hips give out. They have no more motion to option. To, they, excuse me. They have no more motion to offer. So... Once those two joints have nothing left to give, something else has to, right? And that exactly, that's how you start folding at the lower back. That's yeah. how your lower back starts flexing under, your discs start popping out, you're, you're surely going to cause some problem if you do that repetitively and overload and whatever. Where I'm going with that is one of my biggest problems with that, that way of thinking is not only the injury that can follow with it because you're trying to load a position you can't get to on your own. And, and that honestly just doesn't make sense. Like you're, you're basically like pressing yourself down into a position. So imagine like you were doing a barbell bench press. You can only lower halfway down. And then I just push the bar to your chest to make you get the rest of the way. That, that's, it's the same idea. You're yeah. applying force to something you can't get on your own. But where I'm going with that is to try to, to try to pull that all together, that, that jumbled mess. My thought process here, man, is that I think we can tend to be a little too dogmatic with exercises when we don't necessarily understand the mobility or structure requirements behind them. Yeah. And I think the, the scary part when it comes to that is it can lead to injury, Yeah, you know, and it can do it really, really fast. Yeah. I've seen uh, a lot of, like you see videos all the time of teenagers who haven't been lifting for a long time, mm -hmm. but they're being coached by, you know, their high school, middle school football yeah. coaches. Yeah. And in bench press, they're dropping the weight, you know, to their chest, and yep. they don't they Just don't popping know it back up. about like the anatomy of the body and how exercise. They don't know anything about what you're saying, right? When it comes to their limitations mm -hmm. and what may be a proper way to lift for them specifically, because right? Mobility is very individualized. Like everybody's built different. Yeah, you know, you could have. Somebody with very short, you know, T-Rex arms, amazing at bench. Yeah. And then you could have somebody with, you know, long knuckle dragging arms. Yeah. And it's going to have, you know, that shoulder rotation, mm -hmm. just tear up their shoulder. But when you're lifting the dogmatic way, like just point A to point B, mm -hmm. all of that consideration goes out of the window. Right. And you're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. 
Exactly. And the unfortunate thing is not a lot of people know that it's like that, right. you know, uh, especially if you're, you know, new to the game. Like personally, me, I didn't know that it was like that for the longest time. And um, it led to, thankfully, it never led to actually like severe injuries, but it's right. definitely led to very uncomfortable injuries such as like uh, hip tightness, adductor pain. Uh, lower back injuries um, and just unnecessary things that you know happen when all you have to do is kind of feel the way that your body is feeling whenever you're performing these movements and is just it, is it normal for your shoulder to hurt that way yeah is it normal for your elbow to ache probably that not exercise? is it normal for you to have a lower back pump from that exercise yeah like you said probably not yeah like if you're doing a deadlift and you're having a lower back pump you're probably stiff legging it like that you know right. what i'm saying yeah and you know it's maybe not the right way to do it so you know when i um when I hurt my shoulder the first time bench pressing, I was like, oh, surely it was just a, you know, one off. On on, yeah, it was just like, uh, surely it was just like a one off thing. Let me, you know, get through the physical therapy. Let me, you know, get back to a point where I can do it pain free or at least more comfortable. And then I'll try again. Mm -hmm. you know, the second time, try it again. And then I was like, oh, my form must have been off. You know, I was letting my shoulders round forward or I was, you know, flaring my elbows too far. And, you know, so third time back around, you know, I'll, I'll keep the form in check and that freak thing won't happen again. We'll be good to go. And then third time it happened, it was like, man, no matter which way I try to approach bench pressing, if I try to touch the bar to my chest, my shoulder's going to freaking pop out of socket. Mm -hmm. And so at some point it's like, okay, the only reason I'm bench pressing at this point, I obviously, you know, don't like it. If I've, if it's <laughs> yeah. hurt me two times, so why do I keep coming back to it? Mm -hmm. And it's like, because somebody, however many years ago told me that I had to bench press to build a chest. And the sooner you can let go of that and understand that all growing a muscle is, is contraction under load. Mm -hmm. it, it gets not necessarily simpler, but it's a lot more doable and, and pain-free ranges and comfortable ranges. And like, man, I, I know the difference between just being muscularly sore and being tendon ligament joint sore and it is not fun it's not mm -hmm. fun at all so in my opinion the sooner that you can kind of check the ego at the door and stick in a range of motion that works for you or stick with exercises that actually fit to your body the better man the only people that i ever have barbell back squat are people that either say i want to barbell back squat or have competition in a barbell back squat it's a weird movement otherwise man you have so many better leg options mm -hmm. if we're talking quads if we're talking glutes or if we're talking hamstrings you have a multitude of better options to develop musculature so it's like why do we keep forcing ourselves into these specific exercises when number one we might not have been made for them in the first place but number two even if you are you have to have such a such ridiculously good mobility to and you get might not that. even like it <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah exactly so you know that that's just definitely something i wanted to challenge you know i think sometimes when we think mobility we tend to think like oh it's just like stretching but really mobility is like what position can you contract into not necessarily yeah, what position can you force yourself to relax into does that make sense i never thought of it that but that way but that's exactly mm -hmm. what mobility is mm -hmm. um whenever i train for it yeah yeah. And that's why like, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm not a huge believer in static stretching because you're not necessarily changing anything. You might have a sensation. It might be a little looser for a little bit, but if your body is already stuck in that position, 
it's from a overdevelopment or something of something or a repetitive habit of something or a repetitive position from something. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if an example that comes to mind is if, you know, you're constantly rounding at the low back because you have no hip mobility. Well, that could be because you sit for 10 hours a day, five days a week, you know, and I'm not saying sitting is the devil. I'm not trying to go into that path, but my, my whole point there being like, you might not be able to to reach those positions right now. You can slowly train for them, but in order to do that, you have to learn what means what. And to me, the yeah. best way to do that is sensation. So if you're going through, let's stick with the barbell back squat example. If you're going through the barbell back squat and you have it written in your program for legs generally, which in my opinion, you should pick a specific muscle, but let's just say you have it there yeah. for legs. And by the end of the set, your lower back is on fire and your quads are hurting a little bit. Your glutes are hurting a little bit and your hamstrings, you don't even notice. So it's like, what <laughs> did that count for legs? Did, do you just think that that's part of the process that yeah. you got to work? You got to play through the pain. Like it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. So it's like, why do we keep just trying to fucking sham this one thing into this one position? It just doesn't work, man. So it's like, try something different. Like if a Bubba back squat doesn't work for you, try a front squat, try a goblet squat, Yeah. try a stationary quad lunge, try, you know what, man, try the leg extension and work backwards. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, try a Smith machine squat, try, try everything. See what feels the best for you because it, it does take a lot of knowledge and a lot of, you know, constantly watching and, and attention to these things. But a lot of the times you can just kind of mess with different exercise variations and find what feels the best to you. You know, you might be able to find that, hey, when I barbell back squat, you know, it it bothers my right knee and my lower back gets lit up. But if I front squat, my lower back feels pretty good and my knee is not even noticeable. Yeah. You know, and then so at that point, it's like, you know, pick the right tool for the right job, but also the tool that does the job you need it to do. I guess that's the same thing. You know what I'm trying to say. I know what you're trying to say. (laughs) You know what I'm trying to say. Um, And I think think one part that personally I was kind of hesitant to, or that made me hesitant to actually improve my mobility was the idea that it would, you know, mess up my gains. And for the people who are thinking that, because I know like a lot of people who are in sports, they'll probably think that, like, they'll probably think that there's a specific thing that they have to stick to for yeah. a very long time in order to perform the way that they want to perform well to give you some of my experience whenever i first started deadlifting i thought it was very normal to have a crazy pumped lower back mm. and to not feel my and then you're just walking you know, around like a duck with your back arched and like trying to yeah make it comfortable yeah yeah like i i thought it was i thought it was just part of the process like you right. said just something that you ha- that is just part of the lift and i went years uh deadlifting like that but i remember it got to the point where i was like okay th- this has been going on for years i've barely you know progressed with my deadlifts yeah let me actually try to break down the lift break down the way that my body fits into the lift yeah and change up specific exercises and you know the deadlift form to actually fit my needs yeah once i did that and this was after losing also like 120 pounds or something my deadlifts went all the way back up to and i personally think i never maxed out but i'm pretty sure my deadlift was stronger than with 
when I was like 365 pounds. Really? And yeah, and that was because I actually broke down the lift and I did it how my body could best fit the lift movement, if right. that makes sense. No, 100%. And it, what's interesting is, I'm glad you said that because it's not only the conversation of safety, but it's the conversation of what's most optimal. Exactly. And as a power lifter, you're trying to move as much point A, as much weight as you can from point A to point B to check the box of the lift is complete. Yes. And so when we're talking about that, then you go into the conversation of, okay, well, do you just grab it and cat back it and pick it up as hard as you can and just deal with the pain later? Or do you learn how to use your glutes, quads, your upper back, the biggest muscles in your body to move yes. this barbell? It's like, to me, it's a no brainer. It's like, if you take the time to learn it, start from square one, not only are you using the right muscles, but by using the right muscles, you're keeping yourself safe. Mm -hmm. You're keeping yourself at a point where you can continually do it for a longer time and get better at it and get more out of it. So it's like, all right, either you could have a jacked lower back or you could have a huge deadlift and a jacked <laughs> upper back and glutes and hamstrings and your lower yeah. back will get lit up a little bit too. That's always okay. But if it's the mm -hmm. main thing you're feeling, we have a problem. Yeah. So that's. That's, I'm really glad you said that because that's a big part of the conversation as well is it's not only are we avoiding pain, but we're, we're being the most optimal here. And, you know, if you think about it, like, let's say you have, you know, 10 sets a week that are programmed for quads, but every time you barbell back squat, it's glutes and lower back. Well, and, and five, five of your sets for quads are that, well, you actually only have five sets of quads yes. because you've done five sets of quads and five yep. sets of lower back and glutes. And so it's like, you're wondering why your quads aren't growing. You're pounding squats into the depths like everybody online tells you to. Because barbell back squats don't work for you, man. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's an important conversation to be had. And I, I like how you said, like, you know, you kind of dipped it in really quick saying that you're starting from scratch. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's what it is. Like, it's kind of, it was kind of scary for me, you know, because you're kind of putting faith in this whole mobility thing. Yeah. And, you know, you're knowing that, you're going to be, you know, weaker or, you know, doing different exercises, right. you know, from the get go. But wow, the progress that you'll get yeah. from actually doing optimal exercises. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Yeah, like it's seriously like this. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like you, you've been training in a dark room with your eyes closed and you didn't know it. Yes. You know, I have a, um, one of my first ever clients, man. I mean, I'm literally still 18 at the time. It's a power lifter named Austin. I had a blast training him. He was an idiot and took a leap of faith on me and bought 80 sessions up front. So I was stuck wow. with the guy for a bit. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I was, I was really happy to, he's a really good buddy of mine, but you know, day one, we're just breaking down on his lifts. We're looking at squat bench and deadlift. And man, I, I remember it so vividly. We go into the deadlift room at, at pack and we get, start getting set up. And I'm going to throw some numbers around. I think the variance in the numbers is about right, but the exact numbers I don't remember. But so, you know, let's say he's usually deadlifting like 275 or something like that. And what I notice is, okay, number one, we're getting set up. He's wearing Olympic weightlifting shoes. So he's deadlifting in those. Yeah. And when we get into position, lower back is rounded, barbell is in front of the feet, not level with the midfoot. Uh -huh. And so he starts getting set up and he pulls his 275. It's not super pretty, but we lose the shoes. We make about 30 seconds of adjustments, 335. Yeah. It's 60 pounds, just like that. And all it was was like, okay, well, we, we went from being in a position where you basically have to use 90% lower back, and I'm making that number up just for example, but 90% lower back and 10% let's say glutes, hams, and upper back mm -hmm. to a position where you're using 90% glutes, hams, upper back, and 10% lower back. 
you, you put yourself in the optimal position to use that. And the way you do that is number one, starting from scratch and, and learning positions you can be in the fundamentals, but, mm-hmm. but number two, actually doing it optimally. Yeah. So actually using that musculature to the best of your ability. And you know, that takes some practice along the way. If you're someone doing it on your own, I would highly encourage you to film yourself and watch specific That's joints. Huge. Watch specific joints. If you, let's say you're filming yourself from the side on a barbell back squat and you see that as you sink down, let's say your hips, let's say your hips get to the point where your knees are and then suddenly your hips don't move anymore, but your lower back starts to round under you. Mm -hmm. That tells you that's all the hip mobility you've got there, friend. That's all you got. Now, there's some other things that we can play with over time that might make the position a little bit easier for you to get into, and that could be something like a heel elevation or a different bar position, but that's something that's going to be a little bit of trial and error. But yeah. that, that key starting point is actually understanding how exercises should feel and then seeing what they look like and, and understanding what the weak link there is, seeing that, oh, this thing stopped moving and this thing started moving my mm. hip stopped bending my lower back started bending so it was at this point that either i need to start stopping that exercise or i need to figure out how to manipulate my position or load to get to a farther position yeah i think uh you know self-analyzing is part of the equation the other part for people who don't know how to you know maybe self-analyze you know as great as you because i know like you're very smart with this and you know it takes practice yeah sure. exactly yeah. it takes practice it's a lot of trial and error and a great way that i found out to practice is to find somebody who's doing the same sim or like a similar training style that you are and has the same build or a similar build to you and see what they're doing right mm-hmm. watch the way that they lift see what they're doing right compare them to your videos and you'll be able to pick or you'll be able to see like the uh differences because the person that you're looking up to is probably better at whatever you're doing if you're using them as a reference yeah you know like for me there's a powerlifter named andrew hawes and uh george lehman and eric lillybridge those were the three people that whenever i wanted to optimize my um squat bench and deadlift I would break down the way that they lifted, see if I can incorporate that into way that I into the way that I lifted, and seriously, nine times out of ten, it would take away so much pain from the lift. It would make it because they're structurally similar to you. Yeah. Um. So sometimes they weren't like George Lehman. He wasn't. Um. But he knew the fundamentals of the deadlift. Sure, yeah. That I could then carry over mm-hmm. to, you know, the way that I lift. Right. So, um. Yeah. Just use use others for reference if you know you kind of want to find somebody who's already doing the movement you know good and see if you can break it down and you know kind of pull some information into the way that you're you know doing the movement yourself yeah for sure and you know some actionable steps that you can actually take to improve mobility at a specific joint Number one, you have to have a a pretty good idea. I shouldn't say a pretty good idea, but you have to understand that certain things just don't move certain ways or certain muscles don't contract in certain positions. So let's say, you know, let's say I can get my hand, you know, whatever, 24 inches behind my body. Well, that might not even be the best position for my pec to contract from. Even though I feel my pec stretching, that might actually start with like my front delt. Yeah. So you have to kind of get an idea of where do you feel at the best start to finish. Mm-hmm. But to build on that, 
one of the best ways to improve mobility is strengthening and stabilizing in the mid to lengthen ranges, which is a fancy way of saying, let's say you're hitting some lunges and you want to start taking a pause in that bottom position, that bottom position where things are stretched out, your musculature is actually lengthened and challenged and that you have to forcefully contract out of. So if you can get to, let's say, and I'm going to throw some numbers around just to create examples. You don't have to understand the actual number, but let's say you get to 90 degrees of hip flexion at the bottom of your lunge. So, you know, your hip is bent 90 degrees. Mm -hmm. Well, if that's as far as you can get, then you have to learn how to contract out of that position. So if in that position, you can spike your heel into the ground and get your glute and hamstring to work over time. If you continue to challenge the absolute farthest you can get that position it will develop a little bit better yeah maybe not significantly it might be limited structurally or based off maybe a previous injury or something along those regards but in my opinion you can improve mobility in certain positions um so that being said ways you can kind of push on that is let's say it's at that 90 degree position of hip flexion. Again, we're just kind of throwing numbers around. Let's say you get there. Well, maybe next week you see if you can sink it just a little bit deeper without feeling it in the wrong musculature. So let's say you try to get to 93 degrees or you just try to get it just a hair, hair deeper. Yeah. You got to be sure that in that position, you still feel that gluten hamstring contracting mm. that you don't start to notice your lower back or your oblique or something of that nature. That's huge. Yeah. So the best way that I like to do that is actually rather than increasing load, I like to increase the amount of time spent in that position. So let's say you're doing some online coaching with me and you want to develop a sick pair of legs. Well, week one might be walking lunges. Week two might be walking lunges with a one second pause in the bottom position. Week three might be walking lunges with a two second pause in the bottom position. Week four might be walking lunges with a three second pause in the bottom position. Eventually it gets to be a little bit overkill, but as you learn how to get into those positions, stabilize and then contract out of them, you'd be pretty surprised at some of the ways your body can move. Mm -hmm. And if you have a lack of mobility, you won't be engaged at those those uh you know flex parts or mm -hmm. whatever and yeah that's when your lower back and whatever will start taking mm -hmm. over i know personally for me uh that was a big issue with my squats when it comes to like how tight my hips were and one thing that a friend had me do was exactly what you said but you know i did them with bulgarian split split yep. squats that's a big in one order too. to open yep. up my hips but that's a big stretched position right yeah mm -hmm. it big and uh when i when i first started them i couldn't i couldn't even sink down to you know have my knee touch the ground yeah uh, that's how tight my hips were but over time after doing it for a couple weeks uh every leg leg day which was like twi twice a week I was able to have my knee touch the ground and I was able to f keep my legs engaged all the way through the squat movement. Yeah. So before, like you were saying, I would get to a point uh, at the bottom of the squat where if I needed the last three inches, I would kind of dip mm -hmm. and my lower back would take over, you know, maybe my knees would take over, you know, things that I didn't want to take over would take over mm -hmm. because of my lack of mobility. Mm -hmm. After I increased my mobility with those Bulgarian split squats, my hips, my uh, big part of my quads, um, everything that I wanted to be engaged stayed engaged yeah. through, throughout the whole movement. Yeah, Because um, you were moving at the joints that are associated with that muscle. Exactly. Not the joints that are not associated with that muscle. Not, not. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And it, it all... Uh, 
that change all started with just Bulgarian split squats, mm-hmm. just increasing that mobility. Just taking a step back and actually looking at the yeah. exercise for what it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to piggyback on that a little bit, um, I, I think yoga could be a really good tool for a lot of people. It has been for me specifically, but you have to be kind of picky with the ways you do. You know, I'm, I'm not a huge believer in that, you know, the three or five minute stretches are necessarily like helpful even. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my opinion, it should be movement oriented yoga where, you know, you're going into whatever, a plank to downward dog where things are extended out and, and stretched. And then you're moving into a different position yeah. where the joints are being challenged in a range that they typically wouldn't be. Now that's something that you have to be mindful of and take your time with as well, but it's a, it's can be a good starting point. Mm-hmm. It can be a good way to start challenging some of those positions that you might not normally get into. So and it's funny how weak you'll see that you are mm-hmm. whenever you're trying to move yeah. to those positions. It'll ex- yeah, <laughs> it'll expose you. Yeah, everybody thinks they're swolled up until they try something like that. And uh-huh. then it's, it's, it can be very humbling, you know. Yeah, so. and very good. But yeah, very good for you. Mm-hmm. If you're able to like master just simple movements, even though I feel like I feel like it sounds silly. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I was squatting 965 pounds but and then doing body weight Bulgarian split squats. Yeah. I don't need to do this crap. Yep. Well, guess what? Yeah, 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 I do. The you know, I'll, I'll never forget hearing the quote: "Why would you squat on two legs if you can't stand on one?" Yeah, and it's it, it really it really kind of opens your eyes as to how often we can skip some prerequisites and sort of turn our brain off to some of these things. Mm. You know, you might see, you know, you might film yourself exercising and notice that looks kind of weird. It's pretty <laughs> asymmetrical. That doesn't necessarily look good. You know, and then at yeah. that point, you, you might have to start working it backwards a little bit and paying a little bit closer attention to the way we move. Because at the end of the day, each and every exercise is a skill in and of itself. Mm. So it might just take more practice. You might have practiced it. <clears throat> excuse me. You might have practiced it the wrong way all these times. You know, wrong way meaning, you know, a way that's not challenging the muscle you're trying to challenge. That's maybe causing more harm than good. That might be, you know, putting too much you know, stress on a tendon, ligament, or joint, something that you necessarily isn't the goal of the exercise that you're doing. So that's everything I kind of got with mobility. You want to move into some questions? Oh, uh, yeah. Let's move into some questions. Let's do it. Um, from A. Collins Fit, I want to know y'all's thoughts slash opinions on gear and about how far you can go as a natty. That's a whole big question there, man. So gear... PEDs, performance enhancing drugs. Um, <laughs> first of all, man, I am not in any way, shape, or form the specialist in that category. Yeah. I will say, however, um, to my knowledge, PEDs improve your recovery. So one of the yes. first things that comes to mind is maybe frequency in your training. So you might be able to go from training, you know, five days a week, challenging hard to six days a week or three days a week to four days a week. You might yeah. be able to crank it up a little bit and, and recover a little bit better. So that might adjust your workout split as far as, you know, how are you actually approaching your, you know, your whole week of exercise, if that makes sense. That's really kind of the first thing that comes to mind. I mean, other than that. Aggression. Aggression. No, yeah, seriously, I mean, though. Like, that's, like, at least in the powerlifting community, you know, a lot of people take specific PEDs um, in order to increase their aggression. Really? So that, yeah, so that whenever you're, you know, needing to perform a a two a two rep three rep, yeah, you can instantly flip that switch, mm. and that's where you hear or like see the memes of like crazy boyfriends or whatever on trend, right, like, like going Roy crazy, yeah, for sure. Roid rage, um, but yeah, that's a another I guess form of steroids P-steroid. or PEDs. Yeah, 
But the thing is, is like, to my knowledge, a lot of it, it still all works the same. You've got to get your meals in. You've got to figure out where your calories need to be. You have to resist and train and push it every week. Ideally. Your, mm -hmm, your results just might be different. You know, in, in my opinion, I think I've, I've known a lot of guys that have taken that PED step before they have, you know, learned their technique. Or before mm. they have built good habits around food, or before yeah. they have figured out how to get eight hours of sleep a night, you know. So to me, there's there's definitely other ducks in a row to be prioritized before taking that step. Yeah, you're putting like a um, rocket on a wooden boat. Yeah, at that point. exactly. That's a great that's a great way to put it. You're putting a rocket on a wooden boat. That's yeah. a great way to put it, man. And it's like the more you just speed those things up, the quicker you're going to find out you're you're not prepared for it. You're not getting the most out mm. of it. You're not. Yeah. So that that's a that's a whole. A whole schmeal there but as far as like the ceiling of being an addy man it's it's really hard to it's hard to say because i think number one the already the starting variance between person to person is so large yeah you know you could take you know you could take someone who's just a genetic marvel who will still get three or four times out of resistance training than someone who's on all the peds in the world might mm -hmm. So that's a, that's a pretty big question there as far as what the ceiling is. Um, I think the ceiling is higher than what you think. Yeah. And I, <laughs> you know, we could say the ceiling exists and eventually, you know, those gains, I guess, have to slow down at some point. But, you know, in my mind, it's like, okay, let's say, let's say you do everything perfectly you sleep eight hours a night, you eat five meals a day, your macros are exactly where they should be, your resistance training is exactly where it should be, you never miss a rep, you never miss a set. Like, I don't necessarily think that exists. Like, I think there's ways to improve, always, mm -hmm. because the chances that you have every single duck in the row perfectly is, is probably not accurate. There's probably other ways you could be a little bit better. And so I don't know if anyone ever really truthfully finds that ceiling, but as far as the actual process goes, I don't really know. I... I personally, I don't think that there is a ceiling. You know, I think it just keeps on moving forward. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, there may be, you know, a time where like if you're, you know, getting older or whatever and your hormones do start, right. you know, messing up, then, okay, I, I still don't think that there's a ceiling. Like yeah. maybe your performance just drops off. Mm -hmm. But like you said, you can always, you know, optimize something right. in order to keep on um, moving you, forward. You can't, you can't outwork, you know, your your hormone, your hormones. Oh you yeah. You know, so if, if something's in the tank or something's not where it needs to be, or you need to see a doctor, like mm -hmm. that's something that, you know, when we're having the discussion of a ceiling, it's like, well, that could be what your ceiling is when your blood work says your testosterone's at a certain level. But then let's say, you know, you lose some body fat, you improve your sleep habits, you reduce some stress, and then suddenly it climbs up. Yeah. Well, now your ceiling's different. Yeah. Now your recovery is different. Now everything's different. So the, just the concept of a ceiling has never really... I hate it. It's, it's never really made much sense to me. And yeah. it also, you know, I also try to roll it into, you know, I think usually if someone's asking that question, they might be interested for themselves because it's a question of, is it worth it? And ultimately, I think it becomes a personal decision. Yeah. So... You got you to gotta weigh out the odds yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to understand that you're playing with um, your hormones, you're playing with your life. Yeah. I say playing, but you're you're manipulating your hormones. You're right. you know manipulating um, your life, and mm -hmm. if it's worth it to you, then it's worth it. If it's not, then it's not. Um, is is a personal decision. In my opinion, the place where most of this health and wellness and bodybuilding and powerlifting and 
all of that should come from, it, it should always come from a comparison of self. Yeah. So who are you today? Who were you last week? Who were you last year? Who were you mm-hmm. three years ago? And how has it changed over time based off the choices you've made and how hard you've worked or, you know, however you want to quantify that. So to me, you know, just to add that extra layer doesn't really make any sense unless you're someone who's specifically interested in being competitive. Yeah. Because if you're trying to be competitive at that point, you're trying to beat the other guy. Mm -hmm. You're trying to be, you know, you're trying to level the playing field or you're trying to get the upper hand or you're trying to, you know, compete. But when, if it's something that you're doing for yourself, I don't, you know, I, to me, that doesn't make much sense. Um, Unless you just I know, get like satisfaction yeah, out of it. And- I know 100% for a fact, for sure, that most people could build a pretty great physique with no extra help. Yeah. You know, a lot of people want to sit there and say their genetics are bad or this is bad or that's wrong. But as soon as you ask them about the sleep, they get kind of quiet. As soon as you ask them to bring up the food journals, they get kind of quiet. Yeah. As soon as you ask them what their intensity is like in the gym, they get kind of quiet. And so it's just, it's one of those things where I don't even really like the concept of a ceiling, not to beat the horse to death, but it just doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like the right way of thinking to me. Yeah. I think, I think there's like check boxes to the point where you should, when you should actually consider PEDs, you know, if it's for, you know, some kind of, you know, hormone replacement therapy, then, you know, that's different. I'm talking sure. about specifically uh, for training. Um, but yeah, like if you don't have your training, nutrition and recovery optimized, then I don't think you have any business uh, looking into PEDs. Um, like your, your ceiling <laughs> is going to be uh, very high. And, you know, you should definitely look for doing those three things first. Yeah. Um, and then... Yeah, all, all PEDs will do is improve your recovery mm-hmm. so that you can actually increase the frequency. Yeah. And to my blah, knowledge, blah, blah. it just kind of cranks up the dial, man. Yeah, but that's that's what it is. It, to me, yeah. to me, there are other ways to crank that dial up as well. Yeah, that are safer simpler, way. cheaper, safer, legal. You know, whatever. Yeah. So that's kind of my my thought there. Do you have any questions over there? Let's see. Okay, so this question is from Janet. Oh, shout out Janet. Yeah, shout out Janet. Very strong. Um, how can I drop to a lower weight class and maintain my strength level? Um, I think it depends on, you know, how, how far out the meat is. You know, if the meat is more than like 16 weeks out, then, you know, just maintain your calorie levels, increase your workload, and, mm-hmm. you know, you'll be fine. You'll probably get stronger as you go. Um, or I say maintain your calorie level, you'll probably end up increasing it, um, as those 16 weeks go, but whatever. Um, the second thing is a water cut. I think that's, it can be dangerous. Um, but at the same time, when it comes to, you know, maintaining strength for, um, a quick cut, that's, that's a good way that I think you can do it. Yeah, it's just, just try it's to lose some water weight and then fluid back up later. Yeah, I think it's like uh, the like five percent of your body weight should be the max. I, I believe that that's mm-hmm. what it is. So, for my last uh, meet when I was going to compete, I was going to cut from two forty, I think two forty eight to two forty two. So that's only six pounds. So that's like I think two and a half percent of my body weight at the time. Um, that was going to be a very easy water cut, but, uh, you do have to be careful with water cuts. You know, if you're cutting 
like 10, 15%, that, that can get scary, mm-hmm. you know, cause you're, you're playing, you're playing with your life. Yeah. You're, you're, but, you're playing with fire. In my opinion, yeah. it's, it's never really a great idea to mess with electrolyte balance too heavy mm-hmm. and uh, fluid levels too heavy. So I'll give you my answer to that. And then I'll give you the space, this case specific scenario Janet's in right now. Gotcha. Um, so in my opinion, the best way to lose weight while maintaining strength is using time as your ally. Yeah. So I'm going to throw some calorie numbers around here, but the number itself doesn't really matter just to create a base of reference. Let's say you burn 2000 calories in a day. Mm. Let's say you eat 2000 calories a day. Mm-hmm. Your body main, your body weight maintains. Mm-hmm. Now let's say you burn 2000 calories a day and you eat 1800 calories a day. Well, you burn 200 calories a day or 1400 calories in a week. So for sake of conversation, you've used 1,400 units of energy. Mm-hmm. You've, you've burned that amount of energy off of your body fat stores to perform movement, to yeah. stay alive, to breathe, to eat, to do whatever, to lift that weight. You burned an excess of 1,400 calories of, we'll say, body weight reserves, whatever you want to call it. We're going to assume it's from fat just for sake of conversation. Now, if you were to go ahead and do 1,500 calories a day and your body burns 2,000 calories a day, now you're in a 500-calorie deficit a day and you're in a 3,500-calorie deficit in a week. So now you've used 3,500 units of energy from body fat stores, hopefully, not from lean tissue. Mm -hmm. You've used 3,500 units of energy from that. So you have less energy in you you have less ability to to do things so in my opinion you want to approach it as slowly as possible yes um that can be anywhere from half a percent to a percent of body weight per week um in janet's case specific scenario here we are four maybe five weeks out and this morning she was 168.6 okay in order to make weight she's got to be 165 Um, so that gives us three and a half pounds yeah so basically what the plan has been is we're sticking to the calories and her body weight is slowly tapering down. Mm. If I were to take a shot in the dark, by the time the meat rolls around, we'll be right around 166, 166 and a half. And then we'll just be sure that night before we don't do anything too crazy. And then hopefully we end up close enough to 165 the next morning. Yeah. Now, what I will say is, number one, this is her first meet. So usually we wouldn't be concerned with cutting weight at someone's first meet. We're just concerned with feeling strong and, and having a good appearance. Now she's in this odd scenario where either she makes it under 165 or she's competing against people up to 182. So either she's going to be at the height of her weight class or the bottom of a weight class. Mm. And so the conversation is basically, okay, we only have about three, maybe four pounds to potentially pull off here and we have five weeks to do it. Yeah, that's We might as well go ahead and do it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also one of those things where I'm not willing to diet her hard or to push cardio or anything like that. Mm at the risk of her strength. Yeah. So in my opinion, let's say that time rolls around and things don't work out as we had planned directly, which could be from a multitude of things. Maybe what if her sleep gets off? What if she's got to go out of town? What if nutrition's off? What, if, you know, who knows? Mm-hmm. Let's say we're like 169 or 170 closer to that day. Well, then we're not going to worry about it. Yeah. I'm not going to bother, you, you know, if you're classes. like a, yeah, if you're somebody competitive who's competed for a long time, maybe you're still trying that water cut. Maybe you're trying some other things to manipulate, to get yourself down. Um, I've heard of people literally just spitting into bottles and like yeah. running in sweatsuits trying to sweat. Like, yeah. yeah, so I've heard of stuff like that. And and to me, you want to ideally set it up in a scenario where you don't have to do that. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's that's my opinion there. So, yeah. Cool. 
All right. Well, let's wrap it up there. Thank you all for listening. We appreciate it. We will see you next week. See you.